Hello there. Here we are again. It's not much changed here. Some leaves on the ground. More will come. And I will leave them there so that the ground becomes one giant bed. Maybe a couch for the dead to rest on when they come visit me for a celebration. I want it to be comfortable. It will be time to start lighting the lanterns, setting little guiding fires soon. Not yet, but soon. It is good to be back in the forest. The beast in the mist is gone, for now at least. So it will be a peaceful time, I'm happy to imagine. A time for reaping what we've been sowing for the last year. Maybe even longer, depending on what you planted. It's strange, you know. I have been changing, frequently, since I came here to my forest. I was green like summer. I was wilting like autumn. Frozen like winter. Growing like spring. I spun webs like a spider. I grew fruit like a tree. I started becoming green again, but I didn't realize I was growing into... something else again. I will not go so far as to say that it is time I stopped growing, stopped changing, because that time will never come. We must always grow and change. We are of the world and the world must grow and change. But I think my metamorphosis is perhaps slowing down a little. I don't want to change. I haven't seen myself in a mirror in a long time. I left mirrors alone a long while ago. I had one, in a little house I had under a tree here somewhere. Perhaps it will find its way to me again. But I think, through the green skin I've grown, underneath the little sprouts and plants and vines that crawl all over my body, underneath all that, I see skin, new and pink, as though it had never been touched by death in the first place. Touched? By death. That is something I haven't thought about, not in a long, long time. Do you smell something burning? Oh, of course, he is still here, trying not to burn my trees. Good. Very good. Thank you, my dear. Listen... I have work to do here. I have discoveries to make in this forest. I must prepare soon for everyone who will come and visit. But I must do it on my own before I share it with you. So I will not tell you about the forest tonight. Other than the fact that it is peaceful and calm again. Which I am grateful for after so long out on the lake. 
so long lost at sea. I find myself on solid ground, with growing things where I belong. But there is work to be done. I asked my tarot cards, where should I start? Where do I start? Where must I begin preparing the forest? All Hallowtide is coming soon, and I want to make this place as welcoming as possible for the spirits who will join me here. Where do I start? I drew the Six of Pentacles, reversed. It is a strange answer. It means, perhaps, being overly generous, perhaps to the point of having your gifts be unappreciated. Generosity towards those who do not deserve your generosity. It can be a warning not to accept generosity in the form of debt. Generosity that must be paid back in kind. But I asked, where do I start? And the cards told me, by giving too much to those who might not deserve it. I think. Is that always a negative thing? I'm not certain. It's a confusing answer. I do not plan to be miserly with my giving this season. For me, autumn is a time of generosity. I want to find myself in a welcoming forest, warm, kind, ready for company even if that company does not appreciate it, they will be welcome here. They will simply have to contend with ghosts and monsters. And me. So if a soul is not ready for that, that is their own doom, I think. For those who are, and who will be grateful, I think it will be marvelous. And you find yourself here, too. Tonight, with me, weeks ahead of the celebration. Because you come here every week, my patient friend. Celebration or no, and I'm so glad to have the company. Why have you come this week? Looking for a story, I'll bet. Well... What luck? I have one for you, my friend. Something to give. Something I hope you enjoy. Either way, here it is. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful orchard. It was not terribly large. There were perhaps only a few dozen apple trees within it but they were the largest, most healthy, most radiant apple trees you might ever find. For miles and miles around, the people knew of the beautiful orchard with its fertile trees, its green-green grass, its crystal-clear creek that ran around it. Everyone knew, but few drew near. It's a shame the older people in nearby towns might say when others brought up the question of the orchard. Such good fruit, 
but no one can go near it. The superstition surrounding the orchard was strange and ancient, to the point where the young people around often mocked their elders for believing it to this day. It sounded like a fairy tale. It was a fairy tale. It went like this. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful young woman. She lived by herself in a little cottage in a little orchard. Yes, of course, that very orchard. She was quite happy living on her own. She had plenty of apples to live on, plenty of shade to sit in, plenty of clean water to swim in. Yes, the night grew lonesome at times, and she was often afraid of the sounds that came from the forests, from the roads, not too far from her orchard. But the trees that surrounded her, she believed, protected her too. And so she knew she was safe as long as she stayed within the orchard. And so she did. One day, a prince was riding along a nearby road, and he heard the young woman singing in the distance. Entranced, he followed the sound, taking his horse towards the little orchard, where he saw her picking apples and placing them in a basket. How lovely she looked in the autumn sunlight as she picked the last apple of her final harvest. How lonesome she looked all by herself. My lady, he asked, bowing towards her from his horse. Come, ride with me on my horse, and I will take you away from this little orchard, all the way back, back, back towards my shining castle. For I am a mighty prince of a powerful kingdom, and if you will be my bride, then you will have servants to wait on you. You will have meat and wine every night to spare. You will have silk gowns in colors you've never seen before. You will want for nothing. Come with me and become a princess. The last apple in her hand, a basket in the other. She stared at the young man for a few seconds, before erupting into an uncontrollable fit of laughter. How foolish he seemed in his outrageous attire. How clumsy his horse was with all that gold decorating him. How ridiculous his offer was. Couldn't he see how perfect this place was? Why should she ever want to leave it? She explained it all to him as best as she could between her wheezing and giggling and knee-slapping. Ah, but princes are often proud and desperate creatures, my friends. And so, blushing and cursing, the prince reared back on his horse, and he rode it as far away from the orchard as he could, until the poor beast was exhausted. 
Some of the old men in town said that he found an old witch and begged her to perform a vengeful spell for him. Others said his mother was a powerful sorceress, and she made a curse that night against the young woman who had wounded her son's pride. But I know the truth. Fairy tales don't like to tell us that young princes can do their own magic. It is always an old witch, or an awful mother, or stepmother, maybe a wise wizard, perhaps. But young princes can do their own magic. The problem is, people rarely explain that to them, so they often discover it the hard way. The truth is that the young man looked up at the full moon, the harvest moon, not unlike the one we just saw in our own world, and he wished a terrible, terrible wish. By the sweat of his brow and the blood on his hands from gripping the reins so tightly, by the curses under his breath and the burning of his pride, he worked a terrible curse. If she cannot look on me, she will look on no one. If she cannot sing to me, she will sing to no one. If she cannot love me, she will love no one. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. His hatred was a round, red orb, glowing and awful. It took shape in his mind, a ripe apple, hard and crisp on the outside, juicy and bleeding on the inside. And in his mind's eye, that apple was picked up by a lovely hand and brought up to even lovelier lips and bit by even lovelier teeth. Whether or not he meant to do it was unclear. In some versions of the tale, he was glad at the result of his fury. In others, he was ashamed and remorseful. It doesn't matter. The outcome was still the same. When next he rode by the orchard, she was lying at the door of her cottage in a death-like sleep. A sleep so like death, in fact, that she was cold to the touch, and her skin had the pallor of a corpse. Her lips, however, were a bright red, the same red of the bitten apple that she still clutched in her hand. You may remember this story now. Pay no mind. It is only the beginning of our story. But let me reach the end of the beginning, forgive me. The prince had a glass casket made, gold filigree decorating its seams, placed on a shining pedestal. She was set on a bed of crimson cushions, holding a bouquet of little apple blossoms from her own orchard. And the casket was sealed up. Surrounded by the trees she loved so well, there she lay for years, decades, centuries, never aging, 
never decaying, just waiting. And the cruel prince, long gone. Now that was the superstition. Details were often changed, twisted around. But certain facts remained, not least of which was that no one dared approach the orchard. In a tavern, late one night, one old man bragged he saw the casket in his boyhood. Another said that was hogwash, there was no casket, he knew damned well. Another said the whole orchard itself was rotten, no point to go there any more. Another wistfully lamented that if he were forty years younger, he might go visit it himself and find out. A rowdy group of young men, not a very respectful bunch, mocked the old men for their strange superstition. They clinked their glasses and spilled their ale, and joked at how they wished there was a beautiful young lady in an orchard of delicious apples. They'd be there now instead of in this dismal place. But one man spoke up then. I have seen the orchard. The whole place fell silent. He continued. I have seen it. There is indeed a little cottage there, cozy as it was over a hundred years ago. The trees are overflowing with apples, and there is, in the center of them, locked away in a glass casket, the most beautiful young woman you've ever seen in your life. Still laughing, yet only playing at disbelief to disguise their suddenly extreme curiosity. The young men welcomed the other into their group. They chatted the night away and became fast friends, for in the morning he would take them all out to the orchard he spoke of. The old men in the bar, the ones who'd heard the myths since childhood, who could swear that they had perhaps once, maybe even twice, seen the orchard, and perhaps even the casket and the lady within it, they finished their drinks in silence that night. Why did they seem to have this growing dread? This awful fear? This darkening shadow in their hearts? At the very thought of the orchard? Yet they hadn't the words to warn the young fools. All they could do was hold their spouses tight that night, should they be fortunate enough to still have them. Perhaps they could kiss their grown children and try to forget about the orchard. It's a shame, all of that good fruit, but best to forget about it, best to forget. They whispered to themselves as they slept that night, each at the same time, in their own houses, in their own beds, as though it were a script they all had promised to perform. The next day was lovely and warm, a very pleasant autumn morning for a ride. The young men and their new friend hopped on their horses and took off on the road, merrily singing along their journey, telling each other crude jokes and ribald tales. They traveled several hours, and it was afternoon when they happened upon the orchard. 
It was all there. Every detail. The voluptuous trees. The enormous ripe fruit. The green, green grass. And in the center of it all, the casket. Glass. And containing within it an exceedingly beautiful young woman. Still death-like in color, though otherwise untouched by the centuries. Her lips still such a bright red that it seemed impossible. The young men were first shocked. They celebrated their discovery with cries and cheers, almost like conquerors in a new country. What a sight they'd discovered. They sang songs to her. They danced for her. They bowed to her. They made a drunk and mocking display of wooing her. All of them except the one who had guided them here. Then they turned to the trees. They began to pick the sumptuous apples. They made a game of it. Who could pick the most? And why not, after all? This would be the final harvest of the season before the cold weather came, and the apples would just fall to the ground and go to waste, wouldn't they? If they were not to claim them, then who would? They picked each tree clean, one after the other. And the girl, the apple princess in the coffin, could do nothing about it. They blew her kisses and laughed at her as they pilfered her orchard. They didn't know. They didn't know that some places are haunted. Some places are magic. Some places are both. And the sun began to set, and they sat by the creek, watching it gently sink down below the hills and the sky grew dark. They all sat, their bellies full and aching from eating and laughing, all except for one, the newcomer, their new friend from the tavern, the man who none of them had met until that night. Even the old men in the tavern, they didn't know who this man was, or at least they didn't remember him. They would muse to each other in silence. The old friends. The old friends who were once not so unlike these foolish young bucks who found themselves at the orchard now. But he did seem awfully familiar. The stranger stood by the one tree that had one remaining apple on it. The last apple. My friends... The man began, holding the apple in his hand, but not pulling it from the tree yet. Have you wondered at all why, for all the fruit that these trees have borne for us now, there are no apples on the ground? Not one? The young men chuckled a little, not sure what the stranger was driving at. No, they muttered, we have not wondered. Carelessly, only half-listening, they joked, offering maybe a few obviously incorrect guesses. Not interested, 
not caring, not thinking. The stranger continued, Who has been eating the apples? A silence as they waited for the answer. Do you think you are the first? A silence as they realized that something was wrong. Everything has its price. Magic. Curses. Even apples. The sun had set. It was dark now, and the trees were bare. Except for that one apple. That one that the stranger held in his hand. What do you think is the price for this entire year's harvest, I wonder? You took it so readily, after all. You didn't even stop to ask. The young men all rose to their feet. Behind the stranger, just past the tree he stood by with the last remaining apple. The casket gleamed in the moonlight. The orange light of the harvest moon. The price is pride, he said, and he picked the last apple. The casket, which they were certain had been sealed shut, swung open, and slowly, rising to her feet, standing inside it, was the girl. Her eyes closed still, her pallid skin shining, and she spat out from her lips something, something that looked like a piece of apple. And her eyes opened, and they too were white as death. The men Boys, very clearly now in their terror, all began to run, except for the stranger. They ran through the trees, trying to find the road, but they were lost in the darkness. The stranger threw the apple to one of them, and as soon as he caught it, the corpse-like princess leapt out from behind a tree at him, and shrieked in his face a cry of rage of betrayal. He screamed and wept and threw the apple away from himself towards one of his friends, who unfortunately caught it. He spun around and right behind him, the apple princess clasped her hands around his throat and howled at him like a wild animal. He looked into her white eyes, and he thought he might go mad from fear. He wept like a baby and begged for his life, he caught a glimpse of another friend running behind her. He threw the apple to him, and the princess was again deterred. The third friend caught it and ran to the creek where he threw it in, to be rid of it. That was the worst thing he could have done. Panting in falsely earned relief, standing by the bankside, he turned to smile at his friends, as if to say, We're safe now. I've defeated the monster. And of course, at that very moment, a pale hand crept from the riverside and clasped his ankle, dragging him into the water, 
far, far, far away. And in that water, dark though it was, he could see her in the moonlight. She had such a fury, such pain in her eyes, confused rage, as though not understanding, not knowing how, not sure why, she had had so much taken from her in her life, and even beyond her life. She had done nothing to earn this. She had mocked an arrogant prince. That was all. And the young man in the creek saw it all. He saw her when she was alive, happy, solitary, beautiful, laughing. He saw the prince, the prideful prince, who had been put in his place. His face seemed familiar. Even in his ostentatious clothes from so long ago, and sitting on his decorated steed, he seemed familiar. But the memory was slipping away from the young man, slipping away, just like the memory of the old friends in the tavern. All he could do was weep, beg, whimper, under the water. Please, no, please don't kill me, I'm so sorry. His hands reached around, through the green plants that grew from the bottom of the creek, and they found something hard and round. The apple. He held it out to the girl. and he bowed his head. When he woke up, he was back in town. They all were. All the young men who had made fools of themselves at the orchard. They were in a field, on a farm, not far from that tavern, and a farmer yelled at them and waved his pitchfork, demanding they leave his property. The boys couldn't remember anything. They were sure they'd been to an orchard. Their stomachs ached. One or two of them spat out what appeared to be pieces of rotting apples. Some spat out worms, even. Was there another man there? A man who seemed somewhat familiar? Surely there hadn't been a young woman. But the terror haunted them and it humbled them, and they staggered back to the inn, preparing to leave this place forever. The old men from the tavern watched the shameful parade, and they felt a tremor down their spines, too. A memory, forgotten, but a face with white eyes and a screaming red mouth haunted them even still. At the orchard, two still remained. The strange man who had led the fools here, and the apple princess. They stared at one another in the light of the daybreak. Another harvest for you, my love, he said softly, and knelt. 
the princess looked down on him, disgust only on her face. The prince had cursed himself with long life, you see. He had thought he could repay her with his own humility. He had thought he could repay her with his shattered pride. But it would never be enough. So every year, just so that he could see her again, just for one night, at the final harvest of the summer, he would bring her, proud, young princes, her fill of them, princes who might think twice after meeting her before making a mockery of someone else's generosity. The princess remained disdainful. She did not care for this foul ritual she had been forced into. But after several lifetimes of feeding her pain with the pride of fools who were just as he once was, he was slowly becoming something new. No longer an arrogant prince, but a humble man with a penchant for humbling others, too. Will it ever be enough? He whispered, over and over, his eyes on the ground, tears watering the orchard, as they did every year since he'd cursed the girl and himself. She reached forward with long, deathly fingers, the nails black from the poison of his curse. She held a pointed finger under his chin, close to his throat, and tilted his head up to look at her. Will it ever be enough for you to forgive me, my love? He whispered, tears running down his cheeks as he looked into her eyes, her corpse's eyes, still furious. Don't. Call me that, she growled bitterly, and her black, poisonous claw pricked his skin, and his own curse flowed back to him, through her, blackening his veins, reaching his heart, stopping him from aging and decaying and growing and ever being free of his debt. To her. His eyes flashed white, just as they did every year at this time, just as they did every time he made his sacrifice of pride and humility to her, just as they did whenever she accepted his harvest and cursed him back with his deathless, deathlike countenance. Another year of it, until the next harvest. And maybe for the first time since he'd cursed her, for whatever reason, she found him very, very funny again. And her laughter was like music. And... Strangely, staring into the eyes of the woman he once loved, and still did, whether or not she could ever love him back, 
he smiled. A dark story, I think. I'm not sure. I like them. They're not lovers, but they are stuck together because of his debt to her. Sometimes even we monstrous princesses must make the best of unfavorable situations. Perhaps that is all that fairy tales are. Princesses and princes making the best of unfavorable situations. Guess what comes next? Shall I tell you? I saw them once. Hmm? Yes, I did. Years, years, years. Centuries again, probably. After this story took place. They were in the orchard. The apples had piled up. The prince had stopped bringing prideful young folks out there for the harvest. I suppose it was, ultimately, at some point, enough. And though she lay, even still, in the glass coffin, she had long ago decayed, and only a skeleton remained. And at the foot of it, outside of the coffin, as though resting against it, was another skeleton, his head laying at her feet, just happy to be near her. And I heard a song coming from beyond the trees. Hate and pride eventually subsided to some kind of humility. And perhaps, even if not in the way that the prince had originally meant it, a kind of love, perhaps. The kind of love that comes from a hard-won forgiveness. A distant, suspicious love. But love nonetheless. Maybe. I am on guard. I am trying to make this place ready and available for anyone who needs it. But I know that there are those who will not care for my forest the way it needs to be cared for. I cannot do it by myself, and yet I cannot stop offering it. So I can only be on guard, ready to catch up pride in my claw-like grip catch its throat in my hand and throw it into the creek. <laughs> I am ready. I am watching. And I am excited to welcome those who come with respect and love. Think on who you will let into your forest, too. Think on who you will offer your generosity to. Grateful souls, I hope. Sweet dreams, my friends. Be well. <laughs>
everyone, and thank you so much for listening to episode 162 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza speaking to you, the writer, host, composer, performer, podcaster, and so on and so forth and so it goes. How are you doing? I hope you've been well. I hope you enjoyed the harvest moon we just saw. Preparing for the change of season. Ready to change too, I hope, in the best ways. Sending my thanks to everyone who supports the show on a monthly basis through Patreon. Thank you so much for your consistent support, my friends. I am so grateful, always and forever. I just released a full Moon Tarot reading video on Patreon yesterday for my supporters of $5 US or more, and uh, it was definitely an interesting one this month for me. If you'd like access to that, you can join my Patreon at the Kindred Spirit tier. For that reward tier level, as well as everyone who contributes $1 more a month, you can also receive access to my complete soundtrack of the show. If you'd like to learn more about this bonus stuff, feel free to head on over to patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. And if you'd like to donate one time only without either of those perks, you can buy one or more metaphorical coffees in support of the show at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. Also, we have t-shirts and hoodies available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. If you'd like to support the show in a free way, I'd love if you left me a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever else you like to rate and review podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, or on my Facebook or YouTube pages just called On a Dark Cold Night. I've been uploading some extra musical goodies to YouTube as well, Uh, more to come in that vein, so head on over and check them out if you like. I won't keep you any longer, my friends. I hope you have a lovely rest. I hope you're taking care of yourselves, and I hope you don't mind my strange, frightening fairy tale tonight. Have sweet dreams, my friends. Until next time. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.